Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Joe Lumley to my Mark Schwarzer. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good. It's an exciting week for the both of us, I think. It's it's the lead up to uh to the big uh, the big two eight for, for me and you. Yeah. Twenty eight years young for the pair yeah. of us. Me on the Sunday, you on the Monday. How exciting for the pair of us. And in true professional podcasting fashion, recording on my birthday would not want to spend my twenty eighth <laughs> birthday any other way, quite frankly. Yeah, you get to spend uh, a couple of hours with me and as I say, that's that's gold dust for anyone, isn't it, let's be honest. Yeah, I, I could not think of anything better than hearing your delightful, upbeat voice on my birthday. <laughs> um, I, I've always, I've never actually asked you this question before we get into the show. We really should get into the show because there's a lot to talk about today. But obviously, if people haven't worked it out already, your birthday's on Valentine's Day. Mm. Is that a bit complicated in terms of gift giving and what have you? It's, I guess it, from a selfish point of view, I, I don't do much Valentine's Day, I never have done. And it's never been celebrated from from my end. Mm. But it's a commercial holiday, Ryan. It's it's for the capitalist pigs. It's there to make money for the man. Don't do it. <laughs> there I was thinking, I, I do not want to take part in this consumerist scam. Um, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Have a happy Valentine's Day. Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, your second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to go through all the games in the championship from midweek, some massive games, and it's given us a massively clearer picture as well in terms of where teams are looking for the rest of the season. So we'll go through each of the games very shortly. Then we'll finish off with some of the news and the Craig Bryson pub quiz right at the end. But before we get underway, dear listener, let me tell you about our friends at FansBet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. You can get a terrific welcome offer of bet £10. Get £30 plus 10 free spins. When you sign up using the link in the description of this podcast, UK mobile registrations only, terms and restrictions apply, full details on site, 18 plus, please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out FansBet Responsible Gambling Tools. Steve Bruce lost his first game in charge of West Brom. They were beaten 2-0 by Sheffield United thanks to a brace from who else? Billy Sharp. Um, difficult to get a real grip on this game, Justin, when there's an early sending off. Jake Livermore given a straight red for a late tackle on Conor Hurahan just before half-time. Was that a red in your eyes? Yeah, I do think it was. Steve Bruce was defending him, but I think he was just defending him because he's his manager. Um, but it was it was a poor tackle. I know there'll be arguments that he got the ball, but it was a, the scissor action that really could have endangered Huran. So yeah, quite quite an easy read for me. Quick fact about Livermore's suspensions at West Brom. He's missed um, just over 20 games in his West Brom career, career um, through suspension, which is interesting. That's a healthy amount, isn't it? How long has he been there for now? Four, five years? It feels, yeah, it feels quite a long time. I should have actually checked how many appearances he's made for West Brom. But nonetheless, 20 games is a lot through suspension. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's half a season, nearly, isn't it? Yeah. It is in the Premier League. Um, it's poor for your captain to be lunging in like that, isn't it? Did, did he get the ball? I can't remember if he got the ball or not. But either, either way, it, yeah. was a, it, was a, it was a late tackle. 
your captain can't be doing that and jeopardising the whole team. That's not what you want to see from the leader on the pitch and ultimately it's cost them the game, hasn't it? They weren't particularly great prior to the sending off, but at, from that point it all seemed fairly straightforward, uh, didn't it? We did see early signs of how Steve Bruce wants his team to play. They went with four at the back, which would have been sacrilege under Valerian Ishmael, but I'm, I'm guessing that will take a bit of time for the West Brom players to adjust to. Um and it's also given us early signs of how difficult it is going to be for Steve Bruce to turn around the ship at the Hawthorns because they have been heading in one direction for quite a while, haven't they? Yeah, you, you, you're spot on with the turning around of the ship. It's going to be like the one in the um, the Suez Canal, isn't it, where it gets stuck a little bit. It's a bit slow at turning around, um, a bit of digging it out, and it, it will eventually get going, but it's just whether or not there's enough time for West Brom to gain enough momentum going into the playoffs it might be it might be good you know if, if West Brom can stay in, in in around the top six come April and they start to gather momentum then because a lot of games in April then fair enough but you could tell the difference in confidence between the two sides um, I think Sheffield United's goal second goal sorry summed him up knocking the ball around confidently the first goal summed it up for West Brom quite nicely Matt Clark diving in um, in a challenge and then the ball somehow ending up in the goal um, it's just West Brom's look and confidence at the moment yeah I think Steve Bruce can turn it around it's just whether or not there's there's enough time there for a top six push the thing is they've dropped down to ninth now mm. which is ridiculous when you consider West Brom have been you know, around the top two for the vast majority of the season. They haven't got any games in hand either, which is really, really concerning for the Baggies. Um, and I think Steve Bruce eventually will manage to get a tune out of this West Brom side. But if they are wanting to get in the top six this season, then he's going to have to really make it happen soon, isn't he? Um, because otherwise they will miss out on the top six because right now we keep going back to it don't we there's so many teams in the top six right now who are in good form Sheffield United one of them who are eyeing up the top six at the moment in really good form they're going to keep winning games aren't they and sure there may be the odd team who drops out along the way but if West Brom want to keep pace then they've got to really turn it around really really soon and if they carry on playing the way they are, then I, I, I can't see that happening, quite frankly. There was a bit of good news. Dara O'Shea made his first appearance since August. He was monumental for them in the first few games of the season. So he's going to be a massive, massive boost for them. Uh, but Steve has definitely got his work cut out. Comfortable win in the end for Sheffield United once it helped by the Livermore red card. I thought Billy Sharp was exceptional, of course. Got the two goals. Billy Sharp doing Billy Sharp things. I thought George Bordock played well despite not being in his natural position. He's playing left wing back instead of mm-hmm. on the right. Fourth straight win and I'd say this out of all the wins they've got this season just in is probably the biggest statement win they've had. Yeah, it's going to make the rest of the division um, stand up and take note and think, oh shit, these these are live and kicking now. Because when you consider how many points off Forest they are, just a point off Forest, they've got two games in hand on Forest in sixth. Um, it's quite frightening. And, and the comparisons between West Brom and Sheffield United if you if you'd gone back to October November time and the difference in points and places and where they are now, it's it's quite staggering. I think that's credit to to Paul Heckingbottom and the the job he's doing. He's won seven in nine. Um, and just going into the game, um, they were they were really effective here. I know they're playing against ten men, but they had seven shots inside the box. They were getting into good positions. Now, if you've, you know, rewind back to September, they weren't doing that under Yukanovic. So it just goes to show what a uh, what a change a manager can do and it's yeah really really good performance from Sheffield United and I expect them to 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 kick on because this was a this was an interesting test for for them and Heckingbottom 
Yeah, I'm just looking at the table now from earlier in the season. You had a 10-point gap. I've just picked a random time from autumn kind of time. There was a 10-point gap between Sheffield United and West Brom, and now you look at the table, and uh, they're both level on points, and Sheffield United have got two games in hand. It's quite remarkable how both teams have ended up in this position in the last couple of months. But yeah, Sheffield United looking at a really good bet for the top six right now, aren't they? We will keep adding the point that there are plenty of teams who are in or around there, but the way Sheffield United are going right now, it's hard to ignore them, isn't it? In the battle between two of the form teams in the division, Forest won 2-0 away at Blackburn. A fairly even game, could have been very different had John Buckley put away an unbelievable chance early on when the score was 0-0. James Garner had a brilliantly taken goal, very stylish from him. There was another game, this was another game with a red card, this time Dara Lenahan given a second yellow for a lunge on Jack Colback. I don't want this whole episode to be about, do you think this was a red card, Justin, because there have been a lot of red cards in this uh, uh, selection of games, but did you think this was deserving of a second yellow? I think it was. I think, firstly, every... Every replay I've watched, every commentator said it's been a red card, a straight red card. So that's confusing. Um, but a second yellow, I think it was a second yellow. It just nicks him, doesn't he? Um, doesn't quite get the ball, just nicks him. So yeah, second yellow card probably deserved. So it's it's frustrating for Blackburn, but yeah, definitely a second yellow. Frustrating for Blackburn and frustrating with their recent form. One point from three games now after them previously being in marvellous form, weren't they? Do you think... Now is make or break time for Rovers in terms of where they go next. Because right now you could say their ceiling is top two. The the floor is <laughs> um, dropping out of the top six. Either either or at the moment is a massive possibility, isn't it? Well, you, you've seen with West Brom how, how quickly um, things can start to unravel. So I think with, with Blackburn, they've just got to get back to the basics. They did it really well earlier on in the season where... They were a bit hit and miss in the first few games, and then they started to build it back back up from the from from the ground up, really. So being solid, working out, and being solid, and then the goals started to come from there. So I think it's just a case of just resetting from that perspective. And I've always said that you learn. I learn a lot. You learn a lot from from your defeats, and what Blackburn have learned, I think, in the last last couple of defeats, that they are still creating chances. That's a positive. They're just letting themselves down at key moments. Um, if you look at the, the saves that both keepers had to make, Sambo was very busy. Forest were just more clinical, and that's, that was the difference between the two sides here. Um, so for me, Blackburn, it's just a case of being more clinical because it just wasn't a bad performance. It just wasn't enough to get uh, anything from the game. Next five games, West Brom away, Millwall at home, Sheffield United away, QPR at home, Fulham away. You feel like this is yeah. a season-defining few weeks for Blackburn and as I say they could end up outside the top six or in the top two depending on how those games go but they've got to be picking up points against teams who are in or around them haven't they um, Forrest now in the playoffs for the first time this season and let, let's take a step back for a second Justin because when you consider they were bottom when Steve <laughs> Cooper took over he has done an astonishing job hasn't he to get Forrest to where they are right now yeah, and pretty much with the same group of players, with exception to Keenan Davis. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. That, you know, if there's any others, um, I don't think there are. It's, it's pretty much with the same group of players that Chris Hutton had. It just goes to show that how good a manager Steve Cooper is. And I think a lot of Swansea fans might be kicking themselves, but a little bit frustrated maybe that um, that they they didn't appreciate Cooper when he was around because 
he's going places uh, quite frankly and if that's with Forrest then then that's with Forrest and, and, and they're reaping the rewards of his availability um, when he when he was free so yeah Steve Cooper's a magnificent manager we're seeing individuals become very very good you look at Jed Spence and Brennan Johnson they've gone to another level Max Lowe in this game was, was brilliant just winning tackles left right and centre Keenan Davis oh my god Keenan Davis he's so good he's so so good he's such a brilliant forward and you wouldn't have expected that from him. Um, but what he's shown at Forest in his, in his short short spell so far, he's, he's a very good number nine. So yeah, this is this is a good Forest team. I think the only the only criticism I could have of them is is perhaps the midfield not gaining enough goals. But who cares? Joe Garner scored here, so love and life. James Garner. James Garner. <laughs> I get that wrong. Um, but for, yeah, Steve Cooper for me. I think is in the top three managers in the division without a doubt. You look at his record of developing young players alone, that's impressive in itself. The likes of Gallagher, sure, Brewster, his career hasn't gone exactly brilliantly since he left Swansea, but he got £30 million moved to Sheffield United. Gurhi, Brennan Johnson now, Jed Spence. The list is quite extensive when he's only been a manager for what? This is his third season, is it? Mm. It's remarkable how much progress he's made in his short managerial career so far and he, he's absolutely brilliant you look at how Forest are where Forest are in the table since he took over if things continue as they are they're nailed on for the playoffs it's obviously not as simple as that but he's got them going in the right direction I think there's a sense of optimism around the city ground now that we haven't seen since the Sabri Lamushi days and even now the optimism is probably higher than it was back then because they can see something's happening here and they've got a good, young, exciting team. There's a lot to like about Forrest and a lot of it is down to Steve Cooper and how he's got the best out of every single player that's playing for them week in, week out. Let's go to a real firecracker of a game between two promotion-chasing sides just in QPR Middlesbrough. They drew 2-2. Very enjoyable for the neutral this one. Some beautiful goals and some absolutely calamitous goals. Joe Lumley with... Uh, the most calamitous one of all. Um, I don't really know what he was trying to do here, Justin, just passing it straight to the most dangerous attacker in the division right now in Joe Willock was uh, um, Chris Willock. I'm doing awful <laughs> with names today, Justin. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yes, um, uh... Giving it to Chris Willock. Yeah, that was a, an interesting decision. Elias Chair scored a beauty, a great way to mark his return to league action since coming back from AFCON. Um Weird to think, isn't it, that QPR were doing so well without Elias Chair, but with him back in the side now, then you can only think things are going to get even better for Rangers. You'd, you'd assume so. Um, whether it upsets an attacking balance, you'd, you, you just don't know. But I mean, what was clear to see in this game was that it's not really the case. He's, he's, a, he's a talented player. His goal was unbelievable. It's, you know, saying he's been away from, from QPR for so long, that's a, a way to reintroduce yourself into the team and in, in front of the fans as well. So, He's a top, top talent. Chris Willicks obviously picked up the um, the baton in his absence and he's done brilliantly. And I mean, a goal and assist again in this game. Um, but yes, I think QPR are going to be um, yeah, reaping the rewards of, 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 a, of a fresh Elias chair over the next few weeks. As I say, I think the only disappointing thing is they, they, couldn't, they didn't quite have enough to win the game. So a you know, draw is definitely a fair result, but the attacking talent on show in this game was, was fantastic. Yeah, you say a draw was probably a fair result. You could very easily make the argument mm. that Borough deserved more from this game because they were the better team. QPR were a bit lucky at times, especially with Joe Lumley's questionable passing out from the back. Um, it's strange considering Borough won't actually add any points in this game, but 
you know, you make your own look in the championship, don't you? Isaiah Jones got a marvellous assist for Borough's second equaliser, eventually ended up as an own goal, but it was all down to the brilliance from Isaiah Jones. I was thinking to myself early week, it is astonishing that Middlesbrough own the two most exciting <laughs> right wing backs in the division, isn't it? Because both have been absolutely phenomenal this season. Um, and they've got the choice of whichever one they fancy using. It's... It's really, really odd. But uh, yeah, both have been absolutely brilliant so far this season. So yeah, a game where Middlesbrough will probably be thinking they should have got more from this game. But at the same time, a point away at one of your um, fellow playoff chasing sides is not a bad way to uh, get a point, is it? Derby, just four points from safety after they beat Hull 3-1. A comfortable win in the end, which is quite surprising because Hull have been rather good recently, Justin. Yeah, it was it was surprising. I think it was more down to sort of personnel changes and a, and a really bad night for Hull. But make no mistake, Derby were, were brilliant. They showed a lot of energy. They did they did a lot of things that Hull didn't, um, and they were just the basics of football. Really, they were winning second balls. Um, they were they were first to challenges. They looked like they wanted a little bit more. And that's not a criticism of Hull. You can have an off day, but but Derby were just they had a they had a, a a different kind of drive to them compared to to Hull in this game, and that's what essentially won them the game. I think they they, they dropped off a little bit in the second half, but when you're three 0 up, that's always going to be the case. Festi Abaselli is absolute <laughs> gas, isn't he? I, I felt sorry for the Hull left back Brandon Fleming in this game because Abaselli had him on toast so many times that he just about used up the whole loaf. He, he's got to be the quickest player in the championship, hasn't he? I'm trying to think of any others, uh, any, if any others spring to mind. Uh, there were some, obviously there's loads of pacey players in the championship, but I haven't seen anyone like Eberselli who every time he gets the ball, he's just happy to run at defenders and he'll say to him, right, you're not catching me. So if you let me get an extra yard on you, then see you later, sunshine. He's just a thrilling player to watch, isn't he? Every time he has the ball, Derby fans are on the edge of their seats um, because you know his first thought is to run at whichever poor soul is stood in <laughs> front of him. He does remind me a lot of Adama Traore with his pace and he's difficult to knock off the ball as well, isn't he? Of course, his final products could do with a bit of work, but scored a marvellous goal here against Hultz. So it shows what he's capable of and I think he's capable of being a top, top player because he makes things happen, doesn't he? He's an X-factor kind of player. Uh, but Derby, four points from safety now. Four points, Justin. Four points for a side with a minus 21-point deduction it is amazing into how Derby have got to this point. It's ridiculous, really. Um, but at the same time, you've got to consider um, how, how poor that bottom four is. Obviously, Cardiff starting to pull away, uh, starting to pick up points, whereas Reading and Peterborough just keep handing lifelines to Derby and obviously Barnsley are being Barnsley at the moment. But yeah, it's it's quite staggering, really. And I think I think Wayne Rooney said it himself: if Derby do do pull off the impossible, it quite could generally be one of the biggest achievements in football. It's it's quite staggering to to be doing it with the squad that they've got. And I think a lot of people don't realise the context around it. Not having, I think, having nine players contracted at the club a day before the Huddersfield game, being in administration, uh, transfer embargoes, selling key players in in the in the winter window. Yeah, it's, it's it's madness. Really, they've got no right to to be there, but they're, they're showing everybody up at the moment. Yeah, Reading and Peterborough giving more lifelines than who wants to be a millionaire, aren't they? <laughs> but the the players Derby have got now, everyone seems to be informed, don't they? You've got Bielik now, who is a Premier League player in my eyes. Jason Knight was 
sensational against Hull. Mm. Max Bird is one of the best young midfielders in the division. Curtis Davis is playing the best football he's played of his career. It's, it's incredible. And right now, I'd say the odds are in Derby's favour of staying up um, just because the two teams who are currently above them in the table just can't get a point for love nor money. And Derby, on the other hand, are absolutely flying. Uh, I, I was very surprised about how poor Hull were here, Justin. Mm. Um they let Brandon Fleming be isolated against Eberselli so many times, they just didn't do anything about it throughout the whole game. When they actually had the ball, the tactic seemed to be play it over the top to Marcus Force. And it did work a couple of times early on, but then Derby seemed to work it out. And by that point, they just seemed to keep doing it. And it worked about two times after 20. So I didn't really see what the plan was from Shota Avalazzi. One win and two losses for him now. I'd say jury's still out. Yeah, Drury's definitely still out. He's still trying to work out his squad, isn't he? Um, I think there was just a naivety amongst the team and I think they were missing Richie Smallwood massively in that midfield. They they lacked a defensive cover needed to win that midfield battle because, again, it's cliche in football. That's where that's where football's won and lost uh, at times in midfield. And um, Derby were able to walk through several times. And as I say, having Smallwood in that, in that role definitely, definitely helps. Um, so yeah, Drury's still out. I think the only surprising thing is was... Um, was the selection? Uh, I think I thought there was too many changes from a team that was that was in form. I thought Eves being dropped was was quite harsh because when he came on, I, I thought he he gave Hull a little bit extra. So I think that's the only thing I'd criticise him for. But yeah, Jory's Jory still out, and Alvaladze wouldn't uh, wouldn't get too stressed out at the moment. Let's have a quick break, Justin. After that, we'll talk about Bournemouth bouncing back to win against Birmingham and Bristol City beating Reading. Hello there guys, it's Ryan. I'm just checking in to tell you about the Second Tier Betting Show, which is where myself and tipster Jimmy the Punt pick out our best bets in the Championship each weekend. We've been doing it since the start of the season and have made a tasty little profit in that time with winners at prices as big as 25 to 1. We have a new episode out every Thursday and Monday if there's a full round of midweek games. So if you enjoy having a flutter on the Championship, why not give it a listen? Search Second Tier Betting on your favourite podcast platform. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Just going to give a quick shout out to the Second Tier YouTube channel. If you haven't subscribed already, make sure you do. And we've got plenty of more championship content on there. We've got a new video coming out this week of the most disappointing eleven in the championship this season. It's going to be out in the next couple of days, so keep an eye out for that uh, second tier on YouTube. Uh, Bournemouth bounced back from beating, being beaten by non-league opposition in the FA Cup to win 3-1 against Birmingham. Bournemouth, brilliant in the first half, took their foot off the gas a bit in the second half, but did enough to see out the game, Justin. Yeah, this was this was uh, much more of the side we saw in September, wasn't it? September, October, it was, it was much better from them. Um, I thought they, they created chances when they needed to. Um, you look at Dominic Solanke's his first goal this year, which is quite surprising. Um, took his chance really well. Um, JJ Nancy in, uh, as well was, was fantastic. It was just a very good performance from the eleven, apart from Jefferson Lerma. Um, it was yeah, it was a really good performance from them, and and uh, as well as that, Mark Travers kept him in the game in the second half, which. I mentioned it about Derby, took the foot off the gas when they were in front. Bournemouth did the same, but they had a good goalkeeper to to make sure that um, things were less uh, stressful going into the last 20 minutes, shall we say. Yeah, Jefferson Lerma sent off for a very 
late lunge. Scott Parker said after the game that he was shocked by the decision, saying it's a contact sport, which is a bold way of looking at it, Justin. It is a contact sport, but in the same way, I I can't go through someone very high and late. That's also contact and that's also bad contact. There's, there's, there's good contact and there's bad contact. And I think Scott Parker being the uh, biting at your heels type of midfielder that he was playing um i'm not surprised that he's defended it but i think the fact that lerma's gone high and late uh, on the guys definitely a red card yeah i'm not really sure how scott parker can defend that i think that's one of them where you've got to be criticizing the player rather than the referee uh, the damage was done in the first half wasn't it as far as both teams were concerned here jefferson lerma did give birmingham a bit of hope uh, with that sending off but bournemouth back into the automatic promotion spots with this win considering the business they did in january you expect them to still be there coming the end of the season but still a long way to go Birmingham gave their supporters a bit of encouragement with their better showing in the second half if we're taking a glass half full look at things Uh, but Birmingham are having a bit of an injury crisis at the back they started the week with only four fit defenders and then have since lost two of them and ended up having to play two fullbacks at centre half by the end of this game they are having a lot of bad luck with injuries and players leaving for various different reasons aren't they and uh, Lee Bowyer's already thin squad just seems to be getting thinner uh, every other week doesn't it so yeah they've definitely been dealt a few blows this season Bristol City 2 Reading 1 Reading did create some decent chances in this game didn't they I don't think that's the first time we've said that in recent weeks but despite that it's their it's their seventh straight defeat. Nine points from a possible 51 now. They are just... I mean, where do you even go from there, Justin? <laughs> you sack your manager, don't you? That's the that's the go-to route. Um, but I don't think Reading can afford to do that financially. I don't think they're... They've, obviously, with the embargo that they've got, it's, it's all very tight. Yeah. So, well, well, yeah. well, the word on the street is that they can't sack Panovic because yeah. it's apparently part of their business plan that is just what's being claimed by uh, Reading fans um, because apparently it would mean a points deduction but their run at the moment is getting to the point where I wonder if it's worth doing because (laughs) otherwise they'll just drift off without any trace won't they yeah I I mean it's a good point just take the take the points deduction (laughs) hit now and then And then uh, try and salvage something. It's it's a big risk. It's a high risk strategy. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean it could be placed on guardian leave, but I'm not a HR expert. Um, I don't know how I don't know how all of that works. But like I'm saying, you know, this run of form. Where do you go from there next? It's yeah, you, you do remove your manager and try something new. But obviously they can't do that. But I think if you are to take a positive from this game is. There was a side that looked like they had a little bit more belief in them. Um, there's still a long way to go, but that performance, uh, from my point of view, should be should be seen as a positive for Reading. I think when you couple that with Tom McIntyre coming back from injury, Yaku Meite, um, I think he's been scheduled to play in an under-23s game uh, at the time of recording as well, whether or not he's played that, um, is also a massive positive. So Reading are getting the players back into back into full, full fitness, which is massive for the next 15, 20 games. Yeah, Tom Ince made his debut here and he was quite nippy and um, looking a bit like the Tom Ince of old. Um, 
I say that uh, he, he's quite far off the time it's of old but he, he's looking like he, he's given a new lease of life at the very least with this new move um, but yeah Reading they're looking pretty desperate at the moment aren't they and desperately need to turn it around because as we were alluding to earlier Derby have vastly making track on them and at the moment you'd mm. say the bottom three is looking more likely to be Barnsley, Peterborough and Reading than it is Barnsley, Peterborough and Derby right now so yeah there's um, definitely needs to be a, a swift turnaround at the Medeski. Uh, Bristol City, I, I, I've got to say, despite the three points, I don't think they were great here. Reading did have some great chances in this game. I'm not sure what Tim Close was doing for that penalty as well. We're just turning his back and just letting Tomins fall over him it was uh, interesting. Um, there were a few bright sparks, though. Alex Scott was unbelievable, as we've come to expect now with Starboy. Who's just he's just a fantastic player, isn't he? But uh, yeah, three points on the board. You can't complain too much. Cardiff beat Peterborough 4-0. Same old narrative around Peterborough away from home. Just an absolute travesty, aren't they? Yeah, Darren Ferguson said, um, I think he said it last week, this is a huge month for Peterborough. Um, uh, it was a chance to claw back points on a team that can still get dragged into a relegation battle in Cardiff and they failed spectacularly. Um, and the performance was, was really poor. Obviously, they conceded the, the goals that they did. I think, uh, I can't remember who it was, but um, the defender got done at the near post twice by Hugo and Nick Piazza, who I think, I think is really poor. But Peterborough going forwards only had five shots in the game. Smithers had no no saves to make. To be quite honest, it was a pathetic performance. There was only one completed dribble as well. There was just nothing from this Peterborough side in this game. And when you're coming up against a team that are not too far away from you, it's you're down and out, aren't you? Surely it's 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 just not good enough. Well, they had that Birmingham game, didn't they, where they were two 0 up until very late on, and then managed to drop it to just a point which in Peterborough's circumstances isn't the worst result in the end I suppose um, but having said that when they follow it up with a 4-0 defeat against admittedly a Cardiff side who I've picked up in form recently mm-hmm. but are still hovering above the relegation zone and they get thrashed 4-0 it's pretty pretty torrid isn't it I mean what encouragement do you take from that as a Peterborough fan so yeah, nothing. the the nothing's changed with the away form. Home form is so so, and, and unfortunately isn't looking good enough to save them at the moment. So, yeah, but nothing's really changed from a Peterborough perspective. Cardiff, new lease of life, haven't they? The new signings just seem to have worked wonders, which is interesting considering we were talking about the lack of creativity they've got. Um, the new strikers have come in. Jordan Hugill looks completely different to the Jordan Hugill we saw at West Brom. Mm-hmm. Ikpiazu looks completely different to the Ikpiazu we saw at <laughs> Middlesbrough. They, and the one in particular who's really caught my eye is Tommy Doyle. He looks such an outstanding player. And considering he's, I think I saw a, a Cardiff journalist, I can't remember who it was, saying this on, on Twitter. The fact Tommy Doyle is so far away from the Man City team, yet so talented, says a lot about how scary Man City's uh, talent pool is. But at the same time, Cardiff have got him now and are thoroughly enjoying him, Justin. Yeah, it's, exactly, it's the injection of life that Cardiff needed in this team from all of the players that have joined. Um, I know they're only temporary, but when you've got a team who were in a really bad run of form. Um, the loan signs have come in and revitalised them. And you've got a midfielder like Doyle, who is a lot more mobile than the likes of uh, Marlon Pack and, and Will Volks and, and Joe Rawls, for example. Um, it certainly helps as well. And, and Doyle, yeah, he's, he's going to be a very good, a very, very, very good player. And, um, you yeah, know, I think Cardiff will be a very, 
very fortunate to, to have been able to get him in because he was on loan at Hamburg in the first half of the season. That didn't work out in, in, in Doyle's favour, but Cardiff have got him now and he's, and he's playing brilliantly. Yeah, definitely. And Cardiff seem to have got away from the relegation battle now. They're 12 points clear of the bottom three, which should be enough considering those teams down there are so, so bad. Um, and now they can focus on the future under Steve Morrison. They clearly see him as the long-term option um, and are starting to get a bit of a tune now. So hopefully they'll be able to start building towards the future with this result and how they've done recently. Uh, a team that's not getting away from the relegation zone anytime soon is Barnsley. They suffered their sixth straight league loss after being beaten 2-1 by Luton. To be fair, first off, it was a fairly even game. But then in the second half, it ended up being very one-sided. What a penalty by Elijah Adebayo, Justin. That, that is the kind of penalty when you thump it into the top corner like that. The balls on you to do that is impressive. One thing I loved about that moment was when Adebayo was celebrating, his teammates kept booting the ball at him, yeah. <laughs> which uh, was quite funny. Carter Morris scored a nicely taken goal for Barnsley. Got to take any positive you can with them at the moment. Otherwise, Luton probably should have scored at least another couple and made the scoreline look a lot more comfortable than it seems from the outside in. Barnsley still yet to have led in a game with Poirot Bargi as manager. He's been in charge for 11 games now, Justin. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I mean, what positives said, can you take from this? Yeah, I think someone said it's the worst start from a Barnsley manager ever, which I think about six games ago, that was the case anyway. Um, but 11 games without even taking the lead is is quite uh, is quite scary. And you've got to question the players as well. You can't all, you can't put it all down and it's Bargy. You've got to question the mentality of the players and whether they're strong enough. And you've got Michael Helik, for example, who's... He went to the Euros with Poland um, in the, in the summer. It's 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 madness, really, how how far they've fallen. I don't know. I don't know what they do. I don't know where they go from here. I think the season's past the point of of, of salvation. I think it's a case if you start planning for next season now. Um, that's really that's, that's as much as you have got to say about Barnsley at the minute. Cotton Morris is a very good player. That's it. Well, you say that, Justin. Where do they go from here? They have been linked with a move for Neil Warnock in the gossip sections. Um, how plausible those reports are is obviously up for debate. But say, just live in my dreamland for a second, Justin. Say Barnsley did get in Neil Warnock. Do you see any hope of staying up? Yeah, the only hope I've got is, if you go back to that Rotherham team in, I think it was the 15-16 season when Warnock took over, they were absolutely hopeless I think they brought in players like Leon Best and um, I can't remember any others, but they, they brought in some some free signings and um, seemed to get a tune out of them. Managed to stay up under under Warnock, but obviously Warnock left in the summer, so that's that's the only sort of green shoot of hope you could have for Barnsley if they've gone on that run. It'd be worth checking the points that Rotherham had at that point and the time that uh, Warnock took over to see if there's any any way of uh, of salvaging the season, but. I think at the minute, no, just uh, flat no. It's interesting because I remember when Asbargi was appointed and I was saying at the time, if they brought in a manager who knows the division, someone, well, Warnock wasn't available at the time, I don't think, but someone like Mick McCarthy, for example, who was the favourite for the job for quite some time, then they'd have, uh, their, their chances of staying up would be a lot more certain than gambling with someone like Asbargi and clearly that gamble's just not worked out. Um, Warnock is a really interesting one because... It has got to be said, his magic does seem to have waned a bit, doesn't it? When 
he didn't do remarkably at Middlesbrough and Chris Wilder's got them in the playoffs uh, or near the playoffs um, with pretty much the same team um, mm. and then he his final season at Cardiff wasn't anything to shout about either but you do think to yourself if they did decide to pull the trigger and get Neil Warnock in eight points from safety isn't the biggest you know jump to try and get across so they'd have more of a chance wouldn't they Admittedly, the chances are still slim, um, but they, they definitely have more of a chance than with Asbargi right now because Asbargi has got nothing in his locker right now to show that Barnsley have got any hope of, let alone <laughs> finishing 23rd um, and staying up. So, yeah, it's an interesting scenario. Whether it happens or not is a big if, and it, I'd be surprised if it does, but we'll wait and see. Um, no team has picked up more points since the start of December than Luton, Justin. Remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. They're now up to eighth and are only one point off the top six with a game in hand on the likes of Forest, two games on hand on it, Huddersfield. I don't think many of us were actually considering Luton as a real playoff contender. We always thought they had an outside chance, but as a real playoff contender. But right now, you look at things and you think they've got a fairer, a fairer chance as anyone else, haven't they? They're a wild card, aren't they? Um, they're, the, they're the playoff wild card, and they are, I think they're de- the definition of a wild card as well. They are a, a really good side. Um, obviously, done on a budget, were very well spoken about, done on a small budget. Um, but if you, you know, rewind to that Bournemouth game, you know, performances like that against the teams that are going to be around you are going to get you points. You work harder than the opposition, you win your second balls, you make it ugly for them. Um, and they're, they're, that's what's going to get you into the playoffs if, if you can do that. I think the only thing that could let Luton down is is perhaps uh, defensive frailties that they they do have a habit of showing, um, and if they don't take their chances at, at key times, I think that's the only thing that could let them down. But as I say, they are the playoff wild card, and I'm I'm here for, I'm here for it. I am absolutely here for it as well. You've got Elijah Adebayo, who is one of the informed strikers in the division. Now you can make a fair argument that he's the second most informed striker in the division behind, you know, who at Fulham. Um, Alan Campbell is playing really well right now. Cal Naismith, one of the most underrated defenders in the division. They are on the up, aren't they? Luton are definitely a, a team to be feared. And many people probably won't take them very seriously, but do that at your own risk because many teams have done that across the course of the season and Luton have definitely punished them. Fulham 3, Millwall 0, a battering, as you'd expect with Fulham now at this point. Alexander Mitrovic got two. He's now on 30 for the season, Justin. (laughs) Prior to this campaign, only two players have managed to score 30 or more in a championship season. Mitro has managed to do it with 17 games remaining. (laughs) Let's cut the crap, Justin. Are we officially promoting Fulham at this point? They're going up, aren't they? Um, Yeah, I think... I think, yeah, I'm trying to sort of caveat it with something, but it's it's very hard to do that. They've they've come across against they come come up against Millwall side who are, you know, they play a low block and they still had 13 shots inside the area. I think it was that second Mitrovic goal where they still managed to find a way through despite five players being around the ball. Um, that's when you know a team is is capable of winning the league, and this this team is. And I think the question you've got to ask actually from this game is who can we praise that isn't Harry Wilson, that isn't Fabio Carvalho, and that isn't Mitrovic? Niskins uh, Cabano. Why not? He's enjoying his best individual season, um, and he and he was key in this game. He's he's been a supporting cast member, but I tell you what, he's he's been incredibly consistent this season. So Cabano, you're not Mitrovic, so thumbs up. 
there's no problems you can really point out with this Fulham team, really, no. is there? At some point, we'll have to have a conversation about how we think they'll do in the Premier League. But in the meantime, I think the only thing we can say is you look at the table now, they're nine points clear of QPR in fourth. I say that because Blackburn are the team who are in third and Fulham are eight points clear of them now and have got two games in hand on them. So it's looking very, very difficult to see them not going up and it's getting very difficult for us to say anything interesting about Fulham every week because there's a third of the season left and all we can say is yeah Fulham are quite good aren't they um, <laughs> but we'll leave that there four losses in six games now for Millwall felt scoring four of the last five games as well um, as, I, as we've said before Gary Rowett just seems to do the bare minimum with them Stoke beat Swansea 3-0 Swansea did have to play a third of the game with 10 men after Ryan Bennett was given a straight red for handball on the line but it's got to be said even before that, this was a very one-sided match. Prior to the red card, Stoke had 18 shots in 58 minutes compared to Swansea's one. I've got to say, I was very impressed with Michael O'Neill's side. But, I mean, Swansea, what was going on there at the moment, Justin? There seems to be a bit of a, a defensive crisis of personnel. Um, the style of play has waned a little bit. Um, if you consider the possession stats in this game, Stoke battered Swansea, even with the ball, um, which you go back to September, that doesn't happen. What made Swansea a very good functional side is their ability to keep the ball away from opposition. They were picking up clean sheets and draws earlier on. wasn't enough to win games, but at the same time, you could see you could see the positives. But they're just there are too many players missing in key positions at the moment. As I say, defensively, Flynn Downs is is having to fill a role in a, a centre half. I don't know whether that's because he's a he's a good ball playing player or is or the just lacking in numbers um yeah but at the moment it's there's just a lot of a lot of issues that that need to be worked out um the first ones need to take uh, a couple of steps forward it's that cliche isn't it take two steps back to no take one step back to take two steps forward sort of thing mm. I know they beat Blackburn at the weekend, but they have been really poor for the last couple of months now. They they certainly rode their luck against Blackburn as well, isn't it? And in this game, they didn't even win the possession battle, which is quite alien for a Russell Martin Swan side. I'm not saying they're in any danger of going down or anything. There's too much of a points gap to, for that to be an issue, I'd say. But their recent performance have been comparative with the side fighting to stay up, haven't they? Mm. They're definitely one to keep an eye on. Uh, let's quickly talk about Stoke, Justin. They were marvellous here. Jaden Philogene Badace had another really good game. He has been really, really sharp since coming in from Villa on loan. Um, Lewis Baker also looked really good as well. The one thing we've kept saying about Stoke is how badly hit they've been with injuries, but if they signed well in January, then the dream of top six could still be alive. Based on the evidence of the last few games, just in those two signings, have been really good, haven't they? Yeah, Philogene Bidace in this game was, was brilliant. He, he's given that attack an injection it needed because you go back to last season, they signed Matondo, Jack Clark on loan, and it didn't really work out. This season, they, they've got it spot on. Obviously, DeMarjo Wright-Phillips has, has come into the team as well. And as I say, it's just given the attack you know, a real injection of life that you know it, it was getting fairly fairly stale. Um, and yeah, the, the Lewis Baker... It's a very good signing. Phil Jagielka is an old head and Holt Bellis adds a little bit more um, as well in, in defence. So they've had a very good winter window. It's just whether or not they can develop that consistency. And I think very difficult to to judge them on this Swansea performance, but it was very good. And it should be, that should be the, the, the well, that's what they should be aiming for, that sort of performance every week. And they've still got Josh Madger 
come to the side as well. Exactly. So, yeah, uh, definitely signed well in January, haven't they? Preston nil, Huddersfield nil. Big talking point here was Preston's penalty claim when Emil Rees-Jakobsen went down late in the second half. Thoughts, Justin, quickly? About 10 replays and I'm still undecided on whether it's a penalty or not. I think Scott Parker said it best. It's a contact sport, Ryan. There's <laughs> going to be contact. Um, but for me, I think... I think you've got to feel sympathy for the ref. I think if he sees it clearly and has a replay of it, he probably gives it, but I don't think it was on seeing it first time. I think it's more not a penalty than it is a penalty. Not enough contact for me here for for a referee to give a penalty um, that late in the game when the score is nil nil. So yeah, I'd I'd have been a bit. I felt I would have felt a bit hard done by if I was a Huddersfield fan and they gave a penalty there. Uh, but Preston were the better team here. No clear cut chances particularly. So possibly a draw, a fair result. Huddersfield still in the playoffs as well. And finally, Coventry and Blackpool drew one all. Anything on this game, Justin? Uh, two strikers in form. Um, is really good to see him firing again because when he does when he does get going, he's brilliant, isn't he? And Gary Medini, he's got four in his last six, which again is, is a massive positive. A lot of good attacking quality on show in this game, but probably not enough quality from either side to to edge edge the edge the win. Absolutely. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And contrary to reports from the weekend, representatives of Mike Ashley say he's still very much interested in buying Derby. Speaking to Sky Sports, they admit that he's become frustrated by the delays in the takeover process. From a Derby perspective, Justin, great news that Ashley has confirmed he's interested in buying the club. Previously, it was only reports. Um, And also great that he's still interested in buying them. I suppose the concerning thing, though, is... This is now the third party over the last few months who's expressed frustration with the delays. Yeah, I mean, who do you point the finger at? Is it the EFL? Is it Middlesbrough? Is it the administrators? I think it's a mix of everybody just being a little bit crap, really. Um, just to be really simple, um, you know, the administrators could have done a more efficient job of things. Middlesbrough and Wickham's claims are an issue um, and the EFL have, have dragged their heels in the sand I don't know as I was saying but they've 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 really made it difficult for for this process to um to to go smoothly um so yeah it's, it's frustrating because again Mike Ashley for him to come out publicly who's not a very public person for him to come out publicly and say or get his PR guy to do it um say that he's still interested in buying Derby County is a massive massive plus and that should be it should make everybody go let's get this sorted then and we're still sat here at the time of recording and no progress has been made from that Mel Morris statement about court cases and what have you. It's really frustrating. As time goes on, you're looking at it thinking Mike Ashley is the kind of bloke you want in charge of Derby, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because you see what he's done with his business interests, like of House of Fraser, for example, and how he's taken them from, you know, the edge of going out of business to, you know, seemingly floating again. I'm not a business expert, so I pretend to know too much. <laughs> um, but he, he, he gets places out of the depth stunty and gets yeah. him back on a level footing and that's all you really want if you're a Derby fan right now and um, there may be perfectly legitimate reasons why there seems to be no progress being made in the takeover but considering we know administrators make a lot of money from clubs in administration you have got to question whether they're dragging the feet in the whole process or not because when the whole Derby saga is over and hopefully results in Derby surviving, obviously. 
I think there has to be a review of numerous aspects of it. And one of those in particular has to be who pays for the administrator fees. In the first three, uh, first eight weeks, the administrators at Derby made £1.7 million. We're now at 20 weeks in. And so if they've continued to charge the same amount over that time, they'll have made four and a quarter million pounds. I don't see how it makes sense for a club struggling for cash in the first place, having to pay around a million pounds a month extra. It doesn't really make much sense to me something. So I, th- I think it definitely needs to be looked at because I can guarantee in the next few years, Derby won't be the only club who goes into administration. I mean, there have been three in the past three years in the championship alone now. And this and many of uh, two of them are before COVID. So the only thing I can suggest is the fees get paid for by the EFL. That, that's just my suggestion. I mean, look at the Wigan situation from a couple of years ago. This was down to the fit and proper test. The reason they went to their administration, wasn't it? Ironically, the fit and proper test was not very fit and proper. Um, but the EFL would probably make it more stringent if they're the ones having to foot the bill for teams going into administration. So just a thought I'm putting out there. Um, Sky Sports says, Kick It Out has raised serious concerns about victims of discrimination at Coventry City who may have been neglected following the conviction of the club's safety officer for a racist slur aimed at a club steward. 51-year-old Nicola Pollard was found guilty on Tuesday of a racially motivated public order offence, which is... A concerning story. One to keep an eye on there. Barnsley and Cardiff have been charged by the FA after their big hoo-ha following the game earlier in the month where everyone decided to have a go at each other. Sticking with Cardiff, Steve Morrison says the club will discuss Sean Morrison's future at the end of the season. He suffered an ACL injury, which means he's going to miss the majority of the next 12 months. But he's also out of contract at the end of the season. And that's always a tricky position for clubs to be in, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, and Cardiff aren't in a position where the financial position anyway to just hand out a contract to Sean Morrison next season. They'll want to make sure. I mean, it's it's a pity football's like that, but at the end of the day, it, it is what it is with that situation. But yeah, it's it's, it's a sad, um, it's a sad way to end your Cardiff career potentially for Sean Morrison. But hopefully, hopefully, he sticks around at the club, and when he returns from his injuries, he's still there. Thing is. He'll have to take a wage cut, won't he? Because wherever wherever his next step is, he won't be earning as much as he is at Cardiff right now. Mm. I don't know how much it is, but we're talking, what, around 20,000, I'm guessing. Um, he will not be getting that wherever he goes next. So maybe Morrison will look at things and say, right, I'll take a big healthy pay cut just to have my wages ticking over while I'm recovering and then can carry on at Cardiff. Um and when he returns back into the team, maybe take on a coaching position in the meantime. Hmm. Who knows? Harry Arter has been left out of Forest's 25-man squad for the season. Justin, were you aware that Harry Arter was still at Forest? Yeah, he came into my head not too long ago, actually. Um, probably a week before the window, because it was linked with a move to the Middle East. But obviously didn't materialise, which is a shame. I'd, yeah, Harry Arter's an interesting one, isn't it? I don't know how his career's dropped so quickly. But yeah, it's, it's a shame that he's not playing, really. Yeah, I always get his career mixed up with Andrew Sermon because they seem to have very interchangeable careers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I completely forgot he was at Forest, if I'm being completely honest. And uh, finally, another player who's been let out of a squad is Matt Olasundi at Preston. Strange move that's turned out to be, hasn't it? He was quite good at Rotherham last season, but now mm. has been deemed to have no part to play at Deepdale. Yes, uh, I mean, he's a very talented um, right wing right wing right wing back he was very good at Rotherham last season I think it was a very good signing on paper in the summer from Preston but obviously it's not not quite worked out for him there and it's quite a shame yeah he's, he's a very good player so yeah frustrating 
Mm, definitely. Right, now it's time for this. All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Indeed it is, Mr Bartender. This is a game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week, it's Justin's turn to give me six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. All I've got to do is guess who that bugger is. The score is 10-7 to myself, so a chance for me to retain my four-point lead. Been a good few months since I got one wrong, so we'll see if that changes this week. Justin, can I have the first clue, please? I made 350 appear- 357 appearances, scoring 64. Whoa! That's a lot of appearances. Um, wow. Okay, so surely I should know who this is. How many goals is it? 67? 64. 64, so you're talking mm. one in six. Wow. Okay. Um, Peter Whittingham. Peter Whittingham. Hmm. It's a good guess actually, but no. I imagine he made more appearances. Uh but it's not it's not it's not Witto. Um I started my career at Wimbledon where I made a name for myself as a young player. Okay. Um hmm. This is the Wimbledon pre Yeah, yeah, not not AFC. Move. Or MK Dons. Vinnie Jones, bite your knees era. Um I'll go to the next clue, please, Justin. I've got a few players in my head who I think have been at Wimbledon, but I'm willing to move on. I <laughs> okay. I I then moved to Gillingham, where I played with Matt Jarvis, Naren Nosworthy, and Mamadi Sidibe. Tony Pulis is salivating at that sentence, by the way. <laughs> what a team! Um, my knowledge of players who have gone from Wimbledon to Gillingham isn't the best. Um, hmm. there is someone in the back of my head who I think did make that move once. But I'm, I haven't got a name yet. So in the meantime, I'll go for Jamie Mackey. No, it's not Jamie Mackey. He started his career in Ex- Exeter, I think. Okay. Anyway, no, he didn't. He started at Wimbledon. What an idiot! <laughs> we've, we've had him before. Uh, I, I then moved to Preston for three hundred fifty thousand, where I was part of a very talented strike force during my years, playing alongside Richard Quest- Cresswell, David Nugent, and Neil Mellor. What clue is this? This is clue number four. That that should be obvious. I feel like that really should be obvious. Ricardo Fuller? No. But that, 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 I just see why you might have guessed him, because obviously playing he was with Jarvis. around there Jarvis, at that time, wasn't he? Yeah, playing with Jarvis, Nosworthy and Mabadi Sidibe and Tony Pulis salivating. It's not a, not a bad guess. Mm. I then moved to QPR, where I managed to still be on the books at a time when Dribble Cisse, Bobby Zamora and Sean Wright Phillips were all brought in. I'm starting to get stressed now. Oh, now you know how it feels. Not putting any guesses out your arse now, are you, Ryan? Have some of that. There's still time. Right, Okay. So Preston, that QPR team, there were so many players in that bloody QPR team. Um, I don't know, Justin... Do I move on to the next one? No one's coming to mind. Go on then, Justin. Last clue, please. Last clue, please. I moved on from QPR to Stevenage and then Portsmouth before winding down my career in non-league. QPR to Portsmouth, eh? I think I think no, Portsmouth are in League 2 at this point. I'm doing a lot of sighing. Good thing we can edit these down and... Um, <laughs> Actually, I can say this because I'm I'm ch- uh, quiz master. Get a move on, please, Ryan. I've got things to do. 
you haven't got things to do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Come on. Take a wild guess. I I think I I I may have to concede. I'm going to have a wild stab in the dark at... I, I don't know. David Healy. It's not David Healy, Ryan. Do you want me to give you a little bonus clue? Not, not it just doesn't count. I made three yeah. appearances for Ghana. Is it Ajimang? It is Patrick Ajimang. <laughs> Come on. You We're back in the game. You messed up my head with the Jibo Cisse QPR one because I was thinking to myself <laughs> who the hell I was spending so much time thinking about that when I really shouldn't have I should have been focusing more on the Preston bit I should yeah. have got that yeah he made I've two appearances in the there. Premier League for QPR as well so he, he played in that did season. he really he did wow yeah I am quite annoyed at myself for that Justin yeah I, I, he, he was a squad player at every team he played for Mm. But it's not, not a bad scoring, not a bad goal record for a squad player. I tell you, I'm really quite irritated by that. It ruins your day. Oh, well. It really does ruin your day. Yeah. Well, Dave was already ruined when I started speaking to you. Ten-seven <laughs> um, is the score to myself now for the season. Still got a three-point lead, so I'm not going to lose my head just yet. But that is the first time I've got one wrong in a long time so it's how I bounce back which matters next and there we go ladies and gentlemen another episode of the second tier podcast wrapped up for the midweek we'll be back again on Sunday to talk about all the weekend games in the championship so we look forward to seeing you then this has been the second tier podcast I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach thank you for listening (laughs) 